welcome back to the Unlimited Podcast. Today we'll be focusing on some of the artworks that defy easy categorisation, and we're speaking to Ray Young, Joseph Wilk, and Lee Cooper. First of all, we spoke to Lee Cooper about their zine-making workshop, Take It Back. Could you introduce yourself and talk about the kind of work you make? So I'm um, Lilith or Lee, Uh, my pronouns are they, them, and I'm based um, just north of Edinburgh on the Fife Coast. I predominantly make zines, which are sort of DIY self-published booklets, pamphlets or magazines. They have a really strong history of being used by people who maybe don't see themselves represented or see themselves misrepresented in mainstream media as an alternative way to share knowledge, experiences, art. Um, I started making zines through making kind of comics, comic zines around my experiences in um, mental health services. As I started making zines, I also started connecting and networking with other zine makers, and that led to um, me co-founding the Edinburgh Zine Library um, in 2017, which is a, a reference library of contemporary zines donated by their makers. That really intersected with my um, kind of own practice of making because I was really interested in how zines bring together and assemble and can contain non-linear stories and histories, things that are really difficult to articulate through the kind of traditional tell-your-story model within recovery services within mental health. That kind of developed my interest in archiving zines or libraries of zines and how that could be integrated into a practice that was more participatory or that um, facilitated zine-making with other people. And zines are great because you can really stick anything in them, and I'm quite... um, um, promiscuous when it comes to my my methods so I love the kind of capacity to explore printmaking, papermaking, lots of different types of art forms within one zine. Can you tell us the name of what you're showing at the festival and can you uh, talk about what it is and could particularly kind of bear in mind that people won't necessarily be there to see it so give some sense of what people will experience. Yeah of course The project I'll be showing from is called Take It Back. It is a kind of project that's um, centred around facilitating, exploring zine making as a way that we can kind of creatively explore, not just communicating our experiences, but the kind of how and why and where of sharing them. The project sort of or the, the initial part of the project sort of ran in, in two stages. So I worked with four other artists to develop a kind of um, an asynchronous way of creating zines together. So it was a workbook that was sent off with a pack and some other zines um, to participants who signed up. And then we had a few online workshops together, some kind of asynchronous stuff, just lots of different ways to, to engage with it and think about zines as a way of... Um, exploring experiences and then um, people were invited to submit their zines to the Take It Back Zine Library which is a collection of zines made during the duration of the project and beyond. We started thinking about like how do we describe our our zines in a collection, what does it mean to bring lots of different um, zines together in one place. So the work that will be at South Bank will be the physical library which also has an accompanying uh, digital library. So if anyone isn't able to attend, um, they can access um, many of the zines on the library in alternative formats, which was something we were really keen to explore, especially with some of the restrictions around um, COVID and the kind of general geographical spread of the project at uh, the, the website for Take It Back, which is www.takeitbackzine.com. 
Could you talk about the title a little bit? The kind of initial impulse for calling it Take It Back was this feeling around wanting to kind of reclaim narratives from the places that often contain them, which is normally like doctors, nurses, hospitals. For me, there was a feeling um, coming out of mental health services that the kind of account of that period was really told in in medical records. And because I didn't have... um, kind of capacity or the ability at the time to create a, a documentary record and because looking back I wasn't able to create a kind of linear coherent narrative that could compete with with the doctor's account I really wanted the sense of like of, of taking it back of link into how to the DIY history of zines of like taking back power but then I think it also gained a second meaning which really came out when I was kind of discussing the outcomes of the project and and talking with participants about about what we wanted to produce, which was this feeling, um, I often call it like a vulnerability hangover, which is like once you've shared something, this desire to just take it back, you just want to be like, oh no, I didn't say that. Or when you make a zine and you distributed the desire to just retrieve all the copies and, and burn them all and there be no record of it kind of what I wanted to emphasise for people involved in the project is that that was entirely uh, possible. You can just take the scenes back. Like, there's no obligation for them to be public. Um, and that, that capacity, that ability to take back what we say, to kind of alter it and reverse it, there not being that kind of permanence to it, is a really important quality of zines and I think a really important kind of thread that runs through the zine library, the Take It Back zine library. Yeah, so, I mean, you've, you've spoken about the physical form it will take and what will actually be there. Do you have any ideas about what you'd like people to take away from this? So the, um, the library is going to be housed in, in the archive space at South Bank, and it's really designed to be a, a kind of quieter space. What really struck me about zines as they were submitted, what really struck me in working on the project and um, on kind of my own zines was about the capacity of the form of zines to communicate things beyond words. Just experiencing all the different zines and the different ways that they communicate these things beyond words is really all I'm asking, I think, of people engaging with the collection. I'm interested in how people came to you. You know, how did you kind of find, or I don't know what the word is, like recruit is maybe not the right word, but, you know, how did, how did you kind of get people to kind of work on this project with you and what was that process like for you and for them? It was actually pretty straightforward I think. One of the things we focused from the start was having like really clear project information and I worked with my producer Emily to to build a website and from the outset to be really explicit about like what's the project look like, what does it involve, all of that sort of stuff which I think was really important then for people to, to feel that they could or that they wanted to sign up. And then it was really about both connecting with organisations that I knew worked uh, in the kind of area that I lived because I wanted to connect and, and reach out to people and, and offer it to, to, to groups, but also um, building on networks, getting in touch via social media with different um, people involved in like mad activism, uh, people working within um, neurodivergence and neurodiversity. And then also one of the benefits of collaborating with um, the four artists on the workbook was also getting them to reach out to people because I, was, I kind of worked specifically with people who also had different kinds of lived experience. And so having it feel kind of collaborative from the, from the outset really then made it easier to kind of open up and, and reach out to people who might be interested. So where would you like this work to go in the future? Are there any kind of things you'd like to develop or ways to make it you know I don't know bigger better you know other places you'd like to take it 
Yeah, so um, when I originally imagined the project, it was going to be as kind of this traveling zine library that would be hosted at different venues. Uh, the precautions around COVID and the kind of uncertainty um, meant we pivoted to a, a lot more of a digital approach and, and we did kind of a digital launch of the library. But I'm really hopeful that in the future, there'll be lots more opportunities for the for the Take It Back zine library to pop up in different locations, whether that's alongside existing zine libraries and different uh, places, or whether that's in kind of like community community areas and, and stuff like that. And, and the project is also really designed to be um, sort of self-sustaining alongside the library at the, at the South Bank and also alongside the library digitally. You'll find the kind of original workbook and information about how you can access um, the kind of asynchronous workshops, the pre-recorded workshops, and if you want to, how you can contribute your zine to the to the zine library. So I'm hoping also that through people engaging with the library, people will also feel um, kind of interested in zine making itself and whether they want to participate that way as well. So yeah, I'm hoping the library will both grow and also travel. Thanks, Lee. Next, we spoke to Ray Young about their artworks, Thirst Trap and Bodies. Uh, my name is Ray Young, um, and I guess I would say that I make interdisciplinary performance work. So at the festival, I'm actually lucky enough to be showing two pieces of work. Um, one is Thirst Trap and the other is Bodies. I would say, well, they're kind of like sister projects because they explore some of similar themes, but um, differently. So First Trap is like an at-home performance um, that you can do at home in your own time, in your own bath. It's kind of a, a speculative fiction. So if you were to buy uh, First Trap, you can either, I think the festival are doing two things, so you can either pick it up, uh, buy it and pick it up from the Southback Centre or you can get it posted out to you so that when you it arrives in the post you'll get a package um, and you'll open it there's some instructions and there's some also some other kind of items for you to kind of use as um, part of the performance and then it sits somewhere between I guess like an audiobook and a meditation and it's about 30 minutes in duration Basically, you're taken through this narrative that kind of is set in the future. It kind of talks about where we as a kind of, um, as a country have just kind of come from with COVID and everything and, uh, and then kind of further into the future when we have to think about how we're using water, um, and, and, and it's been, uh, rationed, um, and kind of takes you through all of the things that have kind of got us to this to the stage and then I have the second piece of work which is bodies again you as an audience member will be sub submerged in water when you listen to this but actually this is a group a group piece and I like to think of it as kind of somewhere between a kind of flotation tank experience and a sound bath this piece of work also is um, I guess like was made from the starting point of exploring sort of uh, water in terms of like yeah in, in terms of climate change having made this work in the wake of Covid it's also about sustainability of the planet but also 
at the same time about the sustainability of the self. It encourages uh, people, I guess, like to rest, to think about like the water that's like within us all and the water that's in with, within the planet and to think about the origins of water on this planet. So I think actually that piece, that piece of work is um, kind of looking at sort of uh, climate justice and social justice because I feel like those two things are kind of inter interwoven and you can't kind of explore one without the other. With this piece of work, you are invited in groups of 24 into um, an immersive swimming pool environment. And you, again, it's kind of um, a narrative. It's it's written from the point, the perspective of water um, as a character, I guess. And you spend around 30 to 40 minutes in a pool, um, kind of just exploring the different watery possibilities. My inspiration for both of these artworks were thinking about the voices, the louder, who are the loudest voices that we hear when we talk about sort of inequalities within a, a, a climate. We're impacted. I mean, the people all over the world will be impacted, but obviously some people are already being impacted. And I guess I wanted to take a look at like, how they are being impacted and then think about think of, think of a way of sharing or motivating people to do what they can to change things ultimately i think you know responsibility also bigger responsibilities lie with governments and corporations etc etc but i guess you can feel hopeless sometimes and so it's nice to feel like there are small things that you can do. First trap is, you know, we're just now re-looking um, at that piece of work because we kind of did it sort of last year and we're retrying it again. We're just trying really hard to kind of think about sustainability in terms of the products that we use and also sort of like how we disseminate the work. And then I think with bodies one of the biggest challenges has been negotiating that with like local swimming pools and trying to explain what the idea is and knowing who to talk to we've been about been a bit uh been around the houses quite a few times with that particular project um but it felt to me really important that we <laughs> We worked in those public um, swimming baths because I feel like when I'm thinking about who has access to the work, I know that definitely there'll be new people that are in, be able to engage in the work because of the fact that it's in the local swimming pool. I, I guess with first trust, because it's happened before, um, I know that there'll definitely be people that didn't get to do it the first time around that all want to be able to engage with it this time. You know, for me, making these pieces of work were about inviting different people into the conversation those people that aren't um yeah that wouldn't normally be invited or don't think it's for them i actually think that it's in some way a good thing that there it's not taking place in the south back center because for some people maybe still they don't feel like that's somewhere that they can go or yeah especially some of like yeah the local communities and maybe they don't access that type of art and culture 
So I think that actually that's a good thing. And then it will be introducing new people to the, my work and introducing new audiences to South Bank. And also, I think with these two pieces of work, there's a different, it offers different entry points. So if going out and being out and about with people is something you can do, then there's bodies for you to try out. And if that isn't, then you can have a piece of work that is kind of delivered to your home and you can do it and you can still participate in the festival, I guess. Both of them are kind of on a little tour at the moment. So um, bodies after... Um, the dates at, uh, at South Bank Centre, bodies will go to Cambridge and then Cambridge Junction and then t- to Leeds, Swimpool in Leeds called Bramley Baths. But I feel like sky's the limit really with both of them because, you know, it's a new, it's a, it will also be a different touring model for me. I don't have to take like six, you know, however many people are, are to a different country with me. So hopefully it means that it's easier to kind of have the work tour and I guess when we're thinking about it when we're making the work we've been thinking a lot about how we make a show that doesn't require you taking lots of people but also lots of kit this morning I go and exercise and the person that I exercised with was like oh what's this show that you're doing then that I've seen on Instagram and then I told them about it and she's never been to anything like that before but she was like oh is it late in leisure centre that's where my kids go swimming so I think yeah it will be yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> it's been a bit of a labour of love. <laughs> Thank you, Ray. Finally, we spoke to Joseph Wilk about wheel trails. So uh, could you, first of all, introduce yourself and talk about the kind of work you make as an artist? My name is Joseph Wilk. I'm primarily a digital artist and most of my work revolves around using automation, robotics and programming, working with alternative bodies in forms of expression. For me, that means a lot around using programming in a creative way to explore my understanding and the wider societal perspective on disability. That's great. Could you firstly name the work that you're presenting at the festival and talk a bit about what it is? Sure. So the project is called Wheel Trails. It's a augmented reality piece using the motion of a wheelchair to draw on the ground digitally. But what that requires effectively is a mobile phone or sensor. People can use their own. We just attach it to the wheelchair. A bit of duct tape is all it needs. Then through just the movement of the wheelchair, people can explore the space, leaving these trails and kind of see them afterwards. The idea is people can express and put to words how certain spaces or the design of public space makes people feel or how it affects them, what joy, how it hinders them and put those words into the trails that they leave. So there's kind of a street art aspect to this, not necessarily about visibility, but about giving people an opportunity through motion and I kind of think almost dance in the wheelchair to explore their motion, explore the space and how it makes them feel and a little bit of a cathartic release because I'm trying to make this joyful because me wheelchair movement is beautiful and I love it but I'm also coming from the perspective of public space in the UK is not that good and I kind of want to tackle that as well. So how did you come to this work and what inspired you to want to make it? So it started with water trails of my own wheelchair in public spaces my wheels 
I discovered absorb a lot of water when it rains. And then I was going indoors and just leaving these massive water trails of my wheelchair all over public spaces. And it was interesting to me because it was a conflict, as in I could see people wanting to respond because you were dirtying the floor, you were being disruptive in the space, but they couldn't or didn't feel like they could talk to you about it. And for me, thinking about how spaces create the experience of disability, that was interesting to me because there was like almost a permission to be disruptive. And I, this, this project really was then thinking about, well, how can I kind of play with these trails and reclaim them in a creative way and use them to create street art that could perhaps deal with some of my own experiences of how public space makes me feel and how it affects the way I'm the way I move through society. Was there a like a specific catalyst? Was there a sort of specific moment where you, you just kind of like made that connection and you were just like, oh yeah, that's there's some work there. It took a while to understand that the wheelchair is a body to me because it's very much presented as a medical thing. And it took a while for me, for myself, to kind of first get over that and think, okay, this wheelchair is my body and I want ownership of it and control of it. The next step was understanding it's a creative body, as in I can draw with it, I can move freely, that is joyful, that is interesting. And it's actually been maybe like a 10-year journey of just discovering these things for myself and connecting that with really just the amazing work in um, disability rights and critical studies of just better understanding the social model of disability, um, how I'm not the problem, it's often the design of society that's the problem and takes you a while to process. And it was playing with how these digital tools can help me engage a little more in society and start to feel a bit more confident about challenging these barriers of, you know, taking a photo of a pavement being blocked by a car and feeling, okay, I've actually not just been passive about this and I'm not going to let it sit with me and stop me engaging. I'm starting to become active. It's a small step. And then, you know, going further might be, okay, I'm going to put a sticker on this car. Again, not necessarily about the visibility to other people about internally this is from, from my sense of I want to be a part of this society and this is stopping me and I want to shout loudly into the air about how this is affecting me that has all slowly led me to become more and more challenging and thinking about how digital tools can act as a cathartic release for the experience of disability so you talked a bit about it um, running from smartphones and it being a kind of a locative digital thing. How, what form will that take at the festival? You know, what, what is being shown at the festival and how will people that are visiting be able to interact with it? So it will be a, an app downloadable on any uh, mobile phone, Android, iPhone. I specifically want people to be able to explore this within their own comfort. With this, my idea is that if you have a phone, you can go and do this and just find your own space to effectively play with this technology. There's different styles for the trails that you leave. I want this to be fun and help people explore like their mobility wheels as a creative tool. You can kind of have water trails, you can kind of play with things where the speed affects what it looks like, ribbons that flow and move and animate. So very much for the viewer just to kind of enjoy. I kind of designed all these things so that you don't really look at the screen or the phone when you're drawing. 
What I'm interested in is that in your head, when you have the idea that you are drawing creatively, it changes the way you see space and it changes the way you interact with it. So in the main hall space, we will have devices so people can participate just by signing up without needing any sort of phone or tech with them. And we will be joining all those words and trails together over the festival into a final piece. I don't know what that would look like. That's kind of the fun. One thing I wanted to talk about was, you know, you've talked a bit about the challenges and the barriers that we face as disabled people. But what were the challenges to you in making this work as an artist? Were there things that you found difficult that you hadn't expected to or things that where your assumptions were kind of changed in working on this? I've tried very hard and worked very hard not to be angry and negative with this piece. I think that is a real effort for me because a lot of this work is about advocacy and about shouting. I mean, as you said, like anyone who has any um, experience of disability living in the UK, they, it's just not good enough and everybody knows that. This project is rooted in that, but, you know, I, as I said before, I love my wheelchair. It's so joyful. Initially, I saw this as like disruptive advocacy. I've realized this is more dancing. Public space is kind of controlling how I am supposed to be in this space and often that's not to be there and dancing or just rolling and kind of a creative drawing even it's a really nice way of taking ownership of the space okay so maybe talk about future plans for kind of where you take it if you have the opportunity really I'd like to create worldwide drawing projects Part of my experience as a digital artist is that these technologies have really connected me in with a lot of disability communities. I like the idea that these drawing tools done on maps could actually start to span the world. Um, I can start drawing something in my local park that trails off and then someone else could pick that up with their wheels and add something onto that. And then, you know, it jumps over a sea or two and someone else starts adding to it. Across the world, there are a lot of people who have these experiences and together we are stronger and anything that enables us to creatively connect and create communities, I think will be a really nice further avenue for this project. Um, it's a completely freely available app to everyone. It's all open source so anyone can change the code and do anything they want with it. But I'm sure that there'll be beautiful creative ideas that people will want to, to use this to explore. Thanks, Joseph, and thanks to all the artists featured on the show today and throughout the series. It's been so great to hear about all these artworks that will be on at the festival. Some of the work will be available remotely, so if you can't get to the festival physically, head to the Unlimited Festival page on the South Bank Centre website. There's a link in the description of this podcast. This is the last of the daily podcast, but we'll be releasing a final episode recorded live at the festival soon. Thanks for listening. Thanks to all of the artists who've been part of this series too. I have been and remain Alistair Gentry. Uh, thank you for joining us and goodbye. podcast has been produced by Unlimited thanks to funding from the British Council. Unlimited is supported by Arts Council England, Arts Council of Wales, Creative Scotland and the Paul Hamlin Foundation.